Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. That's right. Actually, people, you might say they're not going great with crypto, but I think right now it's just a buyer's market. So they do these kinds of things, you know, the market corrects itself. But uh, I think that we are in for um, a six, seven figure Bitcoin. And I think that uh, crypto is going to disrupt everything. So people who thought it was a scam are people who are like, oh, I'm just going to stick with hedge funds and bonds and CDs. They're going to miss out on a lot of money. All right. This is a question that I have to I have to just jump into. What's your go to crypto? Bitcoin and Ethereum. Okay. Well, think, easy, I, easy enough. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we don't. I don't think you should ever sell that. I think you'll be able to leverage it. Well, we can leverage it now. You can get a loan out on any crypto that you own on Bitcoin and Ethereum up to fifty percent in cash. Wow. All right. So, if someone's in an elevator, I know you have a lot of hats, right? You're in an elevator. What's your elevator pitch? What? Hey, Jewel. What do you do? How would you describe yourself? Um, well, I let people know that, uh, I'm a digital investor and there's a digital world and I want everybody to get in it. There's an article that actually came out that actually said that people are looking to purchase digital property in the metaverse before they even buy physical property. Uh, when Mark Zuckerberg made that announcement a couple months ago, that Facebook's name was being changed to metaverse. It was very disruptive and it really was just in alignment with why crypto and why now and why it's not going anywhere. The entire metaverse has ran off of crypto. You can buy digital property in metaverse with a cryptocurrency called Decentraland. Why do you think people are, I mean, and, and I know you, you brought the idea that some people are buying uh, metaverse land compared to, um, I guess, raw land or traditional land, right? Why do you think people are veering to that sector? Well, I think that the people that are buying it, I think they realize the profitability. I mean, six mm. years ago, when I first got started, nobody was interested in crypto. Everybody kind of thought it was a scam. They kind of brushed over it. But now you have major influencers like Logan Paul, Mayweather, you know, Tory Lanez, the list goes on that are now popping their own NFTs. Um, and so I think people realize that crypto is here and it's here to stay. And so they want to get in on it. So I think for people that understand the value of where it's going, they're like, I much rather own digital property than physical, but I still want both. <laughs> well, I mean, let's rewind a little bit then. Who was who was a young jewel? Because I mean, this is a, a newer sector, right? Over the last what eight, 10, 10 years or so. I mean, who was a young jewel? Was she into like the the new stuff? The oh, you know what? This just came out. I gotta basically blow this up. Or who was the young jewel? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, crypto is an infant. It's only been around for 10 years hmm. and it started at $10 and now it's sitting right around $42,000. Uh, I was blessed to start buying it right around $3,600 a couple years ago. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we see people like Britney Spears is coming out with an NFT. Ariana Grande had a virtual concert in the metaverse. 200,000 ticket holders showed up. 200,000. Snoop Dogg is having a virtual concert in his virtual mansion this month in the metaverse in Justin Bieber. So there is a lot of influencers that you and I know and have heard about that are playing in this NFT crypto world. Well, before like crypto, before all this, I mean, who who were you? Like, who were you in high school? Who were you back in the in your teens? Who, who was uh, Jewel? I mean, 
Oh, I wasn't. Listen, I wasn't thinking about no crypto. Well, first of all, crypto wasn't here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I grew up as an entrepreneur um, with entrepreneurial parents, and my parents were very, very successful. And they own a chain of record stores in Detroit. They were actually the first African-Americans to own a business downtown Detroit. And uh, we grew up with like his and her Rolls Royce, his and her Mercedes. I had a Volvo at 16, housekeepers, cooks, and drivers. But at 19, we lost everything. Wow. And I was devastated. What and happened? I, huh? What happened? How well, you lose everything? yeah, I know, right? I, was, I remember asking my mom, like, didn't we have any money saved? Didn't we have any money invested? My dad was an amazing producer and still is today. But he would put everything on lifestyle. Nothing would be paid off. Everything was always, we'll, we'll pay it off later. We'll invest later. So they were great producers. So we always had lifestyle, which made me think that was wealth. And I was angry with my mom because she didn't trust her own financial instinct. And from that day forward, I determined that I was going to always have my own independent wealth, married or not, that I was going to always have my own wealth. I was very disappointed in her at the time. I understand she was just a product of you know her times where you just let the man make all the decisions. But I was like, nope, this girl's going to have her own. Okay. L I mean, let's rewind right there. I mean, especially at 19 years old, right, To for your family to, to lose their funds, right? Where, how was their mindset? And it sounds like your mindset was of anger right there. I mean, yeah. what happened? Did you guys start stop talking? Did they build back their wealth or what happened? Well, um, we didn't stop talking. I was still living with them. We were in a beautiful home in the suburbs of Detroit in a suburb called Southfield. And it was freezing cold um, in Detroit and the heat was off. Like it was bad. Like, you know, food was scarce. You know, it was it was it was a bad time. My dad went into a depression and um, my mom just kind of sat around helpless. Like, you know, I mean, he was still fighting to try to rebuild but he didn't pivot fast enough. You know, it's almost like it reminds me of Blockbuster and Netflix. You know, Netflix went to Blockbuster and said, hey, we're coming out with this digital product. Do you guys want to partner? They're like, no, we're, we're the biggest and the baddest. Now they're antiquated and out of business. They, My parents, they're geniuses, but they didn't know how to pivot fast enough. Um, and I don't think they had enough people around them that could tell them that retail was phasing out and going into distribution. And they didn't pivot fast enough. So today they're doing well. They own a construction company here in Tennessee. Uh, but I went on after that. Honest to God, I started dating drug dealers at the time because I was trying to replace my financial lifestyle that I had come accustomed to. And honestly, in Detroit, at that point, it was like popular for girls to have like dope boys, which is crazy, of course. Right. Um, and that was fun for a few years, yachts and all that stuff, fast cars, until they started getting indicted and dying in some cases. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay, you know, Jewel, you went from men taking care of you, your father taking care of you, men taking you, taking care of you. Why can't you take care of yourself? And that's what really kind of led me on a serious financial wealth journey to understand wealth, its strategies, its cycles, its blueprints, its patterns. And I was blessed to have some pretty amazing wealth mentors in my life that happened to be men. And um, eventually I said, I want to start a club that teaches women because I didn't see enough women at the top of their game in real estate, gold, silver, oil. It was always men at these, you know, tables doing deals. All right. So, I mean, you, you, you said the, the, your, you had men taking care of you, right? So 19, you had your family, then you had drug dealers, as you call them, right? Taking care of you. <laughs> And then you knew you had to, to get out of it, right? Now, I'm guessing you didn't go cold turkey and go, you know, I'm going to leave these people and do my own thing. There is probably some sort of transition into learning and kind of going on your own. What was that transition like? 
Yeah, so I actually, uh, I work temp services. There was a, a temp serve agency called Kelly Services, and I worked a few temp jobs there answering phones and, uh, you know, pouring coffee for CEOs and people in management. And then I realized I was good in sales, and I got a job at uh, was called Ameritech, and I was selling cell phones. And, um, and I was doing really well. I was making about $4,000 a month. And I remember, um, and I was at U of M at the time. I'm a senior in college. And I realized I'm really good at sales. I can sell any and everything. And um, it was going really, really, really well. And um, then eventually I, I ended up uh, getting hired with another cell phone company called Nextel. And they are not a business now, but it was a two-way radio and a cell phone. And um, I did really well with that was one of the top salespeople. And then they came to me and said, you know, you have an opportunity to start your own franchise. And I opened up my franchise and um, that's where I actually made my first million dollars. When did you, looking back on it, when do you think you severed your ties from someone taking, take, uh, helping you out compared to you helping yourself out? Do you remember when that kind of time was? When you yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> true story, true story. I'm at home, I'm watching TV, and I see that this gentleman, um, uh, the news pops up, and he says that he was being indicted for a drug-related murder, and it happened to be my boyfriend, and that he was a drug kingpin. And I was devastated, and um, I just, I remember my phone ringing, and he was very popular in the um, city of Detroit at the time, and owned a couple car dealerships, but they ended up being, you know, there was laundering happening th through those. And I was just like, this is, you are like in some real drama. <laughs> I was like, you are like in a whole hornet's nest of a mess. And I remember going to court a few times, working with his attorney and it's like, I didn't do this. Da, 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 da. And, you know, after a couple of months, I'm like, bruh did it. And I remember being there at the hearing uh, and they said that he had double life. And I was like, you got to change your life. And that, for me, was a serious turning point. I mean, and I think for probably a lot of people, if you come from, I guess, money or have money kind of given to you, right? It's chain, not maybe knowing the true value of that dollar. I mean, right? So if, if let's say you're spending on a meal, I don't know, like $100, $200, but it takes you three hours to make that same money right there. That has to be pretty deflating. I think kind of almost change your mindset. So how are you change your mindset to saying, I'm doing this, making the money. Maybe it's not as much as I hope right now, but I know this is going to get me to where I want to get to. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think, you know, I was blessed because my parents always worked really hard. I come from a family of mm. entrepreneurs. My uncles are still in business for themselves. One uncle uh, is a real estate investor. Another uncle is an insurance agent. And then my grandparents own their own business. Um, my grandma owned this flea market. So I came from people that worked really hard and really long. So I understood working hard. I just didn't have to do it until I was 19. That's when I got my first job. Um, so I wasn't afraid of hard work. Um, okay. And I wasn't afraid to build. I think I, I enjoyed the challenge, especially when I got into sales, because I was like, mm. oh, wait, I can make 3000 this month or I can make 30000 this month. It just depends mm. on you know, how many appointments I can set, how many goals can, you know, how many appointments can I set? How many incentives can we put out? So 
it, it actually became pretty, I loved, I love sales. I loved mm. it. And I was really good at it. So it became a challenge and I realized that there was no limits at that point. What did you, you, you said you loved it and you're really good at it. Were you, did you love it because you're really good at it or is there another thing that you got out of it? Um, I think I love communicating with people why they should buy this. You know, at the time it was like Nextel. And then I remember I eventually ended up marrying my husband who I married to today. Amazing man. And I remember when we first got married, I was, you know, he's like, you don't have to work. I'm going to take care of you. And I did that for a couple of years and I started gaining weight. I'm like, baby, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I got to do something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I started selling skincare and, and I loved that skincare. So I think I just love realizing that I had an ability to communicate with people where they understood it, they liked it and they were receptive to it. And then especially whatever I sold, it was a product that I really used. So I became passionate about it. So I think I just love the entire, the communication, the reception, um, the results of whatever that product was at the time. So I think I loved all that and definitely the profit. <laughs> do you, do you see a difference in your mindset with sales when you had the Nextel business and you were making money to live compared to when your husband or your, your I guess your now husband said you don't need to work and but you wanted to work yeah. to make kind of money. But there's maybe a different mindset or feeling. Is there something different in that? Or it no? is different because I think in the beginning it was like, OK, I need to make this money to pay bills. Yeah. And get into a whole nother. It's a whole nother story. But I was married before to somebody who mm. was um, not ambitious. He, he talked mm. to him, but he wasn't. So I wanted all this and he said he wanted all this, but he wasn't willing to do the work. And so I ended up paying most of the bills. That wasn't fun. Um, and initially it was just, I wanted to have a particular life for myself. But then I think once I married my husband today, who is an amazing provider, then it was about, you know, if I want to buy my parents a home for half a million dollars, but maybe he only wants to spend six figures, I want to be able to do the half a million. Or right. if I want to, for example, I'm a big investor in the city of Detroit. In real estate, when I first started investing in the inner city of Detroit, my husband wasn't interested. He's like, honey, I come from the inner city. I'm not interested in going back there and buying that and buying those homes and doing that. But thankfully, because I had my own money, I didn't need his permission. So I was always a girl who did not want to get anybody else's permission. I respect my husband for saying no, but I respect my yes. So for me, it was the freedom and the options to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it, how I wanted to do it. He wanted my daughter to stay to uh, school locally. I felt like she needed to go away to Howard University in D.C. because she was spoiled. I'm like, she needs to get out of here. And he's like, well, I'll pay for her to go here. I'm like, cool, I can pay for her to go to Howard because I had my own money. It yeah. wasn't a big deal. So I just like the freedom of that. And I want everybody to experience that kind of freedom. I think it's inhumane when you can't do something that you desire because somebody else says they don't want to. When did you start realizing that you had this knowledge or mindset that you wanted to give back, like you said? Um, I think when I was, you know, I was, the story before was when I was married um, to my ex-husband and he called one day, actually. We just had a baby girl. She's probably like six months. He says, I'm not coming back. Hmm. And I was like, this is really jacked up. <laughs> like, we were living in a two-bedroom apartment and I called my parents and they said, come home. And I did. And I had a lot of support. 
um, when that happened, which helped me to emotionally bounce back very fast because he was abusive anyway. So it was like, you need to get out of this. But um, I think that having so much help and support felt so good. But I knew a lot of my other friends who were single parents who didn't have the help, who didn't have the support. So I said, when I get the money, I'm going to give back. So for the last several years, the Jill Tanker Foundation has given two cars away to single parents, one in Detroit and one here in Nashville where I live, uh, because I always wanted to be a bridge to give back. And now even every week I give away clothes and shoes. Like I'm a big giver, you know, because I haven't always had it this way. I was on food stamps for a year and it was not easy. Um, so I always determined that once I had it, I would be a distribution center to support other people on their way up. And, and, and I guess that includes basically kind of giving back in uh, as an author information, things like that. Do you recall when you think you had it, when you go, OK, I made it and I have enough knowledge. Now I can provide it to other people. Um. I want to say, yeah, but I think, I think when, you know, I can remember some, some things happening for my husband and I that I felt like, okay, you girl, you got it going on a little bit. <laughs> a little bossy. Um, and I think that was probably when, you know, I kind of looked at my wealth portfolio, what I had been able to build. And I think, I, you know, I felt like, you know, I want to share with some other, I want to share with the, some other women you know, about my journey, because I, I, I still even today hear a lot of economic oppression. Um, a lot of women trust their instincts on what to cook for dinner, but not their instincts on doing a deal or, or, or buying a property or buying crypto. I think that women still feel like they need a lot of approval um, for men. And, and, I, and I love men. My husband is amazing. So this is not a shot against men. This is just you know, I want to see more women trust their own instinct. And uh, and who knows, their husbands might end up following like my husband did. He didn't want to have anything to do with trading and all the stuff that I do. And now he's killing the markets. But it was me demonstrating, me trusting my instinct because he didn't want to do crypto six years when I got involved. And now he's killing it in crypto. So you know. how, how do you empower women to trust their instincts? Is it just really information? Is it more of a mindset? I mean, where do you think... The big hurdle is. Yeah, I think a lot of it is getting the education and and them sent that little, you know, that thing in your gut that you get when you're like, oh, I like that. You know, it's like, you know, other girls can, you know, you're walking through Nordstrom's and you see those boots and those boots are like, Psst. <laughs> you know, it's like the whisperer over there is talking to me. Those boots are talking to me. And before you even walk over to it, you don't even care how much it is. You're like, I'm walking out of here with those boots. And if they don't have my size, I'm going to have them check online and ship them because you just know you're supposed to have those boots. It's like that with money. But I think it's about trusting that, that little inkling. And then once you trust it once and it leads you to wealth, then you trust it again. Because every single deal, every time I've been blessed to do deals, it wasn't because I understood everything first. It was like I learned and earned at the same time. It wasn't overanalyzation because a lot of people end up procrastinating and not, you know, coming in too because they overanalyze, which causes them to procrastinate, which causes them to stagnate. And therefore, they're like, I should be further. And they really should, but they did not trust their instinct. Well, what happens, I mean, when your instinct 
sends you in the wrong direction. I mean, because I'm assuming not all the investments you've done, right, okay. have been winners, right? No. So, <laughs> what, what, what happens when when it does turn in the wrong direction? What's your mindset when you when that happens? You gotta look at it as a lesson. I mean, I think that if, if you're gonna grow as an entrepreneur or as an investor, you're gonna have to have a proper risk tolerance. Everybody, everything is a risk. It's a risk if I invest and if it's a risk if I don't, because mm -hmm. then you risk being broke or you risk being in the middle class. You know, you, you risk being squoze by hyperinflation. You risk needing the government to take care of you. You risk, you know, waiting for GoFundMe. You, you risk, you know, so everything is a risk. I rather risk saying, hey, I have an opportunity to make 10M on this deal, then risk, you know, getting stuck at five figures a year or six figures a year. So I think everything is a risk, but you just have to realize that either way, I'm going to take a lesson. So just look at it as a lesson and you get better the next time and, and next time it'll work. But I think it's, I think it's dangerous to take a lesson, I like to say, and never do anything else because you will not grow. And probably by default, Poverty might end up uh, coming to your house, and I hate poverty because it uh, the the results of it are are horrific. Your health conditions, social conditions, everything is just horrific. Where do you see yourself and your 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 businesses going in like five years from now? Um, I think we're going to be a thousand percent digital. <laughs> we oh, wow. already are very digital. We own digital property. I'm a co-owner in a virtual um, casino on, um, you know, metaverse. Um, so I think we'll probably be pretty much 90 percent digital. But I think it's still important to have that social connectivity and social intelligence to work with people because people don't want to just sign up and talk to a robot. They want to talk to a real person. Um, that they feel like can empathize with where they are and, and, and encourage them that they can have this success too. Um, so, yeah, so I think uh, Al, you'll probably be seeing me on the cover of Forbes as a billionaire uh, within the next five years. We're definitely tracking that as a company and um, in our investments and, and, and some of the deals that we have and some of the partnerships and collaborations. So that's where we're headed. How with the uh, the digital verse, right? The metaverse, right? How is it, how hard is it to like, I guess, get permits to build or get land or how does that work? I mean, no, it's crazy, man. I'm still learning it too. It's not hard at all. Like I have an okay. Oculus right over there. Um, Tasha, will you have my Oculus? I have an Oculus over there and I just started playing around, building my digital office, walking through there, talking with other people. You can talk to other people on there. It's really not hard at all. Um, we actually have, um, thanks, a teacher. This, this thing is so cool. And I'm not a gamer, but I just bought it because I am an investor. And so you just put yeah. this baby on like this, <laughs> <laughs> walk through the metaverse and start talking to people and there are meetup groups there and there's offices there and there's marketing there. And it's not hard to buy property. You just have to own a coin called Decentraland. And uh, you can buy pretty much all property either with Decentraland or Ethereum through a crypto platform called MetaMask. And uh, that's what we teach people, though. That's what we teach. We teach them how to maneuver through all these things. Well, what about like the casino you talked about? I mean, is there a cap of how many casinos can be there? Or do you have to like? Yeah, there is. There's a, yeah, there's a cap on how many casinos and there's even a cap on how many because I became a co-owner because I bought something called a gambling ape. <laughs> Who knew? 
And, um, and so there's only so many gambling apes. Um, and then there's bored apes, B-O-R-E-D. Are these NFTs? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you bought NFT NFTs to get you part ownership into this digital verse. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine people... Yeah, it's where it's going to be in five years, 10 years, 15 years from now. That's why I think we got to really educate ourselves because it's almost kind of like the grandmother who um, my grandmother just recently moved to heaven. But I remember um, talking to her earlier last year and I had her on a Facebook live. She was so cute. And I'd be like, Grandma, I got you on Facebook live. She's like, who are they? Where are they? Like, it was so... <laughs> It was so hard for her to conceive that there were people watching her all over the world. And, but it's because she stopped learning at some point. So I always tell mm -hmm. people, whatever you do, don't stop learning, no matter how foreign it seems, because otherwise you'll be like my 96 year old grandma who just Facebook was just completely foreign. She was tickled by it, but I don't think she ever got the concept. And so it's the same thing with metaverse, cryptocurrency, you don't want to be that person that says, I'm not going to worry about that. I'll just leave that for them because the people that are in the space will be the next, you know, 50 M 100 M multiple, multiple millionaires and billionaires. I some people just, you know, watch the wealthy and that's how you become wealthy, follow their cues and, and you'll learn as you go. I mean, I, I think, I mean, most people listening, I mean, being entrepreneurs or getting into the ice mindset, they could probably jump into the cold water, right? Jump into the pool. But for people that aren't willing to jump in their whole body in there, but want to dip a toe in there, dip a foot in there, what's the best way, in your opinion, to go into that to that universe with either crypto or land or whatever it might be? Mm -hmm. I would probably tell them, Vinny, just to download Coinbase, okay, mm -hmm. or Crypto.com, and set up uh, auto save and just do ten dollars a week of Bitcoin, just. Super small. You can buy it in Satoshi's or Satoshi is just a fraction. You don't have to buy the whole coin, which is 42000 right now. And just buy $10 a week. Because imagine Bitcoin being 100000 in the next quarter. So even if you bought it at the fraction, you know, your money percentage wise has grown substantially. So either way, you're, you're winning. So I would just start there. It is and, and I'll finish off with this question. Is there any, I mean, advice you would give to your younger self, that 19-year-old uh, woman that with her parents kind of losing everything, trying to find another way of, of income? I mean, what advice would you give to that, that person? Um, I would probably say that, um, and this might sound a little harsh, but when you're dating or looking at marrying someone, you cannot look, love is important, okay? It is, but I don't think it's the only thing you need to look at. You need to understand, the, especially if you want a lot out of life, you got to look at the core values. You got to look at the man's ambition. You got to look at, um, you know, his family life, his relationships with his family, his work ethic. Has he realized any potential at all? And it depends on, you know, how old you are because at 19, you're going to have a lot more grace than if you're 30 or if you're 40. So I think that it's important. And I think sometimes people are like, oh, yeah, just look at that. But if you're really ambitious, that matters. And I learned that in my first marriage and my second marriage. I was like, OK, this matters. My husband is a visionary. He's ambitious. He's a hard worker. 
He's realized a lot of his potential. So I knew we would go the distance because they're going to be differences. But as long as the core values are in place. So that's what I would tell my younger self, like, don't compromise what you feel like you want out of life um, for the sake of a relationship, because either you're going to be held back from your dreams or you're going to just let them go all together. And I've seen too many people compromise what they really want because they're with a spouse that just really doesn't want the same. Yeah. I mean, that's probably a difficult thing. I mean, there was something, I mean, before I got married, I had a list of all the things I was looking for in relation. Cause I, I remember hearing someone talk about it was the idea that after I think it's two or three dates, you kind of forget all the negatives of the person and you start only looking at the positives. So you have to have that list to look at and remind yourself and go, okay, let me check off this box right here. They have this at, nope, they don't. Okay. I don't care how great they look <laughs> or that emotion. Sorry. On to the next one. Yeah, seriously, because, you know, after you get done with the butterflies six months and the bills start coming in and decisions have to be made and children and responsibility and yeah, that stuff is super, super important. And unfortunately, I know a lot of people who feel like they might have married the wrong person because they weren't thinking about the totality, you know, of their life, how they wanted to live and, and what they wanted to do. You know, we live a very good life. We have properties bicoastally. But for some men, I might be like, you don't take all that. I don't want all of that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? You got to respect that. There's nothing wrong with that, that they don't want all of that. But if you do want all of that, you need to be real about that and make sure that the person you're dating or talking about marrying, that you're in alignment. Because otherwise, you could end up having some real problems. Yeah. Well, if someone's listening right now and they're looking to kind of follow your journey and maybe kind of follow your journey onto the idea of digital currency, digital land, digital, whatever it might be. I mean, what's the best way of them kind of following you, finding more information about you or reaching out to you? Uh, JewelTanker.com. Everything is JewelTanker.com uh, for the website, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Facebook, JewelTanker. Well, thank you, Jewel, for being here. Thank you for all giving you all your insight you make it sound so easy. I mean, it's just, and some, you know what reality is? I think the first step, like Joel talked about, is download Coinbase. Once you get that going right there, then it, you know what the funny thing is, is Coinbase, if you download it, I think they give you like some free currency, not necessarily Bitcoin, but they give you. So just by downloading it, take a couple questions, you'll actually get free money. What more mm -hmm. do you want? Listen, it's all everything. You just have to make a decision that I'm a student. I like to tell people when they say, oh, you're a wealth expert. I'm a wealth master student. I am always studying wealth and I study it every single day. And that's really the key because what's hot today doesn't mean it's going to be hot in six months or hot in a year. You know, last year we were telling people just buy Bitcoin and Ethereum. Now we're teaching them how to stake it, how to farm it, how to trade it. There's so many different ways to make money on it. But if I wasn't a, a student of it, then I would just still be stuck on buying it and that's just one form of building wealth. So becoming a student, I think, of wealth is really, really important, especially now. Everything is very, very much evolving. Oh, thank you again, Jewel. Uh, you everyone, if you're me. listening, please subscribe, please share, and go find Jewel. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.